And as we step into our passage today, before we step into our passage today, I want to take you back to middle school health class. This isn't going where you think it's going. But back in my middle school health class at Hampton High or Hampton Middle School right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they decided that they would teach us about the dangers of drinking and driving. And I don't know why they decided to teach a bunch of eighth graders the dangers of drinking and driving. We couldn't drive after all, but they felt that this was a good idea. So what they did was they got the Allegheny County um, you know, health department came out to our school and he brought with him glasses. And what these glasses were, when you put them on, it made the room look like, like it made it seem like you were really drunk, like the way your vision distorts and, and not that I know anything about this, but um, the way your vision distorts and all of that stuff. And so what they would do is they would make kids put on the glasses and then try to like to do the straight line walk, you know, and, and they couldn't do it. They were stumbling all over the place. And just to kind of make them realize that to get behind a car, get behind the wheel of a car, would be really, really dangerous, that they've lost control. And they wanted us to realize that that's a dangerous situation without a car, too. But anyways, one of the, at one time, the, a kid put on the glasses, and he thought it would be kind of cool to try to run away with the glasses on. He missed the door entirely and fell on the floor. And I can't help but think, as we approach our passage today, that some of us live life like we have glasses on that distort our view. That some of us are walking through life and everything feels kind of fuzzy. And everything feels not quite right. Not that we're literally drunk, that the way that we're seeing the world, the way that we're interacting with it, we're stumbling through more than walking through. And what I want us to do today, in the next 20 minutes or so, is to look at how the resurrection of Christ helps pull the world back into proper focus how it helps pull things and see correctly so that we're not stumbling through or smacking into walls, that we're walking through with Christ, that, we're in, that the resurrection enables us to see the world as it is. So with that, if you have a Bible or your Bible app, you can you turn there to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll also have it on the screens this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. We'll begin in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those, then, who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. 
If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And we'll drop our eyes down to verse 50. St. Paul continues, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this incorruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Our habit at River of Grace is to work through a passage kind of systematically, work through a passage, but we're going to do something a little bit different today because what I want to do is I want to answer a question together. I want to answer the question, how does the resurrection change the way we see the world? How does the resurrection change the way we view the world? And our first point this morning is that the resurrection of Christ supplies a foundation for our faith. The resurrection of Christ supplies a foundation. The Apostle Paul here in this text is writing a letter. This is what you what we read on the screen is a letter written to a church addressing all sorts of Issues. It was a church that was cosmopolitan. It was a church that was in a relatively wealthy part of the Roman world. And Paul writes in this section, he reminds the people that they have a real resurrected Christ that they're following after and that this resurrection is the foundation for our faith. If you have your Bible open, your uh, cell phone, it says, if Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. So Paul says that the resurrection of Christ, that this, that the resurrected Jesus, that this person that rose from the dead supplies the foundation for everything we believe in. That, that we don't simply follow after Jesus because he lays down some good teachings, though I think they're good but that we follow after Jesus because it's true and because he's alive and it lays the foundation for the rest of our lives. Paul roots the resurrection not in a religious myth or fable, but in a historical event. If we were to to look back up in the passage in verse 3, we'd see Paul make this proclamation that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Anyone here fascinated by conspiracy theories? Or fascinated by people who are fascinated by conspiracy theories? I would be one of them. You know, things like airplane chemtrails are actually like chemicals that the government is using to poison us. Sasquatch is real. When I was in Kentucky, someone once told me that the government was doing mind control through the water, which was, maybe that's why I didn't believe them. I don't know. Um, But the resurrection of Christ that Paul is laying forward for us here, he's not saying it's a conspiracy theory. It's not some made-up thing. He was rooting it in reality and in something that people saw. And not just like a few people saw, like when they, you know, ate, drank some bad wine or, or ate some bad food. But rather, Paul lays out for us that, that many, many people saw the resurrected Christ. Because this is an event that happened. And Paul also says in our passage that this Christ, this Jesus, fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy. John, the Apostle John, would write, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, That life was revealed, and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. John's saying, look, we're not just making this stuff up. We weren't just traumatized people after our king died. We saw him. We felt him. And other people saw him and felt him. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that if this actually happened, like we believe it, that it changes everything, that we can't look at the world the same anymore. Because there was a man who had a pulse, a heartbeat, and when he was nailed to a cross, his heart monitor flatlined, his lungs failed, The color on his body drained from it. And he was buried in a tomb, dead. And the heart that stopped started beating again. And those lungs took in air again. And a man that was once dead, 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 was alive again. And Paul's saying, If we believe this, if we believe this, it changes everything. And if we don't, then we're just stumbling around with drunk glasses on, wandering through life and wondering what it means. The resurrection gives us the ability to see clearly. And it gives us a foundation, but it also gives us hope. The author goes further in verse 22. He says, For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Friends, Christ, through his death and resurrection, confronts, redeems, and restores 
all that was lost in Adam's sin. With in the Christian understanding of the world, we believe that, that God created man and that mankind in Adam chose to sin and rebel against God, chose to live outside of the ways that God put down for him, chose to live in rebellion against God and rebellion against the way God made the world. And it's because of sin that we live with brokenness. And it's why we deal with decay. Destruction, pandemics, death, sorrow, anxiety, cancers, parenting struggles, cats. (laughs) I'm a dog guy. Anyways, but sin is why we deal with, with all of the problems we deal in the world. It's why we can feel brokenness sometimes. It's why sorrow crowds our hearts. It's why work is toilsome and difficult. And in Adam, man's sin and our own separated us from God. And death itself came into the world. It's why we struggle to be better people sometimes. It's why we can't ever seem to change ourselves. Sin is pervasive. It affects every institution in, on this planet. It affects every person on this planet. But friends, we have hope because of the resurrection. Because of Christ, because of him taking upon our sins, upon himself, carrying them to a cross, the perfect one, dying for them and rising again, He confronts our past and he frees us from it. We can have hope. We can have a restored relationship with the God of the universe, the God who made, knows, and loves us because of Christ dying in our place and rising again. Jesus confronts the brokenness, pain, and sin in the world. And the resurrection helps us see that. It confronts the past. It confronts the sin of Adam. It confronts the sin of man. But it also confronts your personal sin. The resurrection says that Christ has taken your sin. And he has forgiven it. And he's raising people who are dead in sin to new life. It doesn't say... In Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive except for those who struggle with fill in the blank. No, there's no incompleteness here. In Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Friends, Christ takes our sin and his resurrection guarantees our forgiveness, and it guarantees us a relationship with God. Have you rested in Christ, in that truth? Are you letting that, the resurrection of Christ, shape the way you see the world, pull things back into focus? Because it confronts our past, but it also comforts our future. Look at what Paul says through this whole thing. He says, in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. He says in verse 21 that death came through one man, 
the resurrection of the dead, also comes through a man. He says in verse 22, and Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. And in verse 54 and 55, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeats death itself. Death is our great enemy. No one here will escape it. Everyone has probably wrestled through it in some way, whether it's the loss of a loved one. And it is a sign that there is something terribly broken about the world. We all have felt the pains of death. But friends, Jesus emerges as the victor over death. The one whom death could not conquer. Jesus emerges victorious over death. And if he has defeated death, well, friends, he's also defeated the suffering that goes along with it. Because the great hope of our faith is not just some eternal bliss in the sky somewhere, but in, but in a God who brings dead things back to life. A God who brings people who are dead in their sins to life in Jesus. A God who takes dead people and raises them back to life. And like Jesus was dead and was raised, so those who have put their faith in Christ will one day be raised like Jesus. Because of Christ, your last breath, friends, is just an exhale to new life in him. Christ defeats death. He comforts our future. He defeated our biggest enemy and he secures us for relationship with him forever. And all the suffering that we experience in this world, all the pain and the trauma, God will one day make right again in Christ. And so when we when we let the resurrection be the lens through which we see the world, we can, we can understand that, that God isn't just leaving us alone down here, left to figure things out with pains and questions, but that one day he will do away with all of it because there is a, an empty tomb and a risen Savior who now rules as king. He will make things new. As one theologian says, you are not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. The resurrection will fix our sufferings. And this is liberating and good news. He provides a foundation for our faith. It provides us hope for our lives, but it also invites us to life in the future, or in the present, sorry. The resurrection helps pull things back into proper focus. Okay, God is dealing with the brokenness of this world. He's given me a firm foundation on which to stand that there is a risen king and he's somehow ruling and reigning even though I don't understand the details of it. He's giving me hope for the future, for tomorrow, that it's taken care of, that, that I will live forever with God, that he's, he's dealt with my sin and my brokenness. But it also informs how we live the present. Because many of us, we just go around life with the drunk glasses on, 
bouncing into things, trying to walk straight and narrow, getting beat up. We look for happiness in places that can't often fulfill. We'd search for meaning in our work, in our, in our kids, in our marriage, and, they, and it always turns up empty. Those are really good things. They're a gift from God. But God gives us purpose now and invites us to life. If you have your Bible open, look at how Paul ends this passage in verse 56. He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul concludes the passage with an encouragement. Be steadfast and movable and excelling in the Lord's work. Why would we do this? Why would we be steadfast? Why would we be immovable? Why would we go about God's work? Well, he gives two reasons. First is, God has given us victory in Christ. You are victorious. Those of you who placed, placed your faith in Christ, you are victorious in Jesus. So you can live, really live in this world. And you can Live a life that joins God in this resurrection work in the world. The second reason is because our labor is, in, is not in vain. God is up to something in this world. He is making it new in Jesus, the one in whom all things hold together and the one for whom all things exist. He will make all things new, and he is inviting us, brothers and sisters, to step into this life, realizing that he is taking everything, all of our labor, our work, our parenting, our marriages, and he is using them somehow for his good, for our good and his glory. And he's using every pain and every sorrow, and he is not done putting things right yet, and one day will. Our labor won't be in vain. Living for God is not in vain. You ever put something on the calendar that you're looking forward to? Like, you know, my wife and I put vacation on the calendar. We've got some friends coming in in a few weeks. We're really looking forward to that. Some of you are in school, and so you're looking at that May, June, and you're really looking forward to that last day of school. Others of you are in college or grad school, and just grinding it out, trying to get to the end of the semester so that you can walk across the stage and hold that very expensive piece of paper that unlocks your career or your future. And you know that all that studying, all of that work, all of that labor won't be in vain because you'll walk across the stage and it will all be worth it. Friends, the resurrection tells us that all of our labor in life will be worth it in Christ that all of our following after God will be worth it because there's a day when God makes all things right. So in light of the resurrection, we can see again. We can see and have a foundation for life because there is a man who was dead and is alive again. There, we can walk through with hope because God answers the biggest questions. Who am I? What am I here for? Where is this going? God answers in the resurrection, and we live faithfully in the present, following after God 
because we know that it's not all for nothing. God is bringing things together in Jesus. Friends, we are Easter Christians. And so we live life free. We live life with with joy and sometimes with sorrow. But we live life looking ahead to what God is doing in the world. And so let's eat, drink, and be merry. Because yesterday we were dead in our sins and he's made us alive with him. And now because of Christ, we are free. Free to worship. Free from sin. Free from death itself. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you would like to, I would like to just plead with you to, to wrestle with what the Bible says, that there is a man who, was, who died for sinners, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day. And we can bring to him all of our wrongdoings, all of our doubts, all of our hopes, all of our fears, all of our questions, all of our skepticism, all of our concern, all of our, I don't get this God, and we can run to him. And he's there to welcome us. Because he took your sin upon himself and he went to a cross and he rose again that you might have life in him. Crown him the Lord of life who triumph o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. That's our king. We live in his story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that one day Christ will come again. We thank you that we can live with resurrection sight because you have rescued us. You have shown us what you're up to in the world. You've allowed us to see your hand at work and to see all things through the resurrected Christ. So Father, would we be joyful people because of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.